Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Watch anything good recently? I think so. It's hard to tell. Mm. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> the shade. I I liked it. I think. I like. I walked away and like enjoying it, but also feeling bored. I don't know. Bored? A little. Oh. Hey, what did we watch? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go the whole episode without mentioning that it's Star Trek or the episode "Loud as a Whisper." Can we not try that? It'd be a fun guess what series that's from. <laughs> that's right. It's season two, episode five, Loud as a Whisper. The Enterprise brings what? a depth. <laughs> Sorry. It was the a Enterprise. Dumb You're like Picard at full volume. <laughs> We're in this together. <laughs> the Enterprise brings a deaf negotiator to mediate the end of a planetary civil war. This episode is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> what? This white guy has three white slave people that have to talk for him and must walk around behind him their entire lives because their ancestors did? Uh, he's Riva. Right. Anybody with like a one word name like that kind of carries like a certain gravitas. Sounds That's like true. a country singer. The thing is, <laughs> I was thinking about this the whole episode in the in the same mindset and I'm like if we didn't treat this like they were humans and lived in a human way, then maybe there's something to be said. These are alien life forms that maybe are symbiotic. I mean, we haven't met yeah. them yet, but we have the trill or something like that where these relationships exist and we don't know, you know, maybe the, the people that act as the chorus, that's the only life that they know because that's genetically how they can function and they're happy. So you can't take, you know, a human perspective with it. But again, that's giving it a big old grain of salt. <laughs> right, right. They cast human actors to play what could have been floating blue orbs of light. Right. Yes. Yes. And without CGI, a huge CGI budget, especially for the time, I see mm -hmm. how human actors made the most sense. And we never heard these three chorus members say anything from their own point of view. It was only right. speaking on behalf of Riva. But they have to shit and eat and probably can have sex. So like... Of course they have motivations. This doesn't... They do speak they do speak as individuals a couple times. When um when Reva goes yes. off with Troy and uh Passion, is that what Passion is called? The, the, mullet, the most the most mulleted of the men. So uh, many yeah. feelings about this we'll get into. But they they do say, you know, we are not needed right now. Do you have beds for us? So they do they seem to have some sense of self. Right. But really they have only one purpose beyond that sense of self, which is to be a, a third of his personality, of his voice. The other thing to consider, too, if, if we're thinking of Starfleet, um, it would be the same thing as, like, a captain plus a couple of officers. They come together, and they're a unit, and, and it could be that they've offered uh, their life in this service, and it's something that they choose, because that's the future that we live in. Yeah. There's something about his line, right? His lineage is full of people that have his same issue of... I don't know if it was... Was it just deafness, or was there other... Did they call it anything else? Polanski says he cannot process audio information in his brain. So it's even hereditary. if she were to give him some sort of cool implant, he couldn't interpret information that way. Pulaski. <laughs> I took out the in. Uh, it's not Roman But Polanski. you brought in the contempt. <laughs> yeah, it's there and it will never go away. 
Anyone who establishes that their character is defined by bigotry towards data is done (laughs) for me from day one. Goodbye. (laughs) I think another bonus episode idea is going to be the trial of Dr. Pulaski with Becca on the prosecution and Sandra on the defense. (laughs) And then I think I'm too impartial to be the judge. I think I could maybe be the judge, but I think we need a jury as well. Right. Because I I kind of on the Pulaski side, then I don't want to be biased. Listen, I was in mock trial all through middle and high school. I will bring a case. (laughs) The case for Dr. Catherine Pulaski. I was wondering about like the three orbs versus three people kind of situation because it did kind of feel weird to have like three individuals represent this, but it also felt like a very stage like a theater yes. kind of way of doing it. Because if you notice in the first conversation, uh, he stands on like the podium while the three kind of stand in front of mm-hmm. him. And then when he approaches Troy, they all reform back up on the podium to represent his voice behind him as he takes center it's stage. totally a Greek chorus. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. From that perspective, I love it. If I saw this on stage, I would have a completely different perspective. I think that the problem of early television which this mm-hmm. isn't because there is CGI. The problem of early television is it tries to put theater on stage, not yet comprehending right. that yeah. it's a new medium that requires storytelling in different ways and is not as abstract as theater can be. I totally agree with that. and But I also think it, it is pretty early in TV when you think about it because TV advancements are happening so rapidly throughout the 20th century and even now too. Like we can show so much more than we were able to show and to the point to like, even hair and makeup is done rapid, like vastly differently because of how good the cameras have gotten right. now. And the same goes for like what we can do on a set versus what can really look like real CGI on TV and or look like a real effect as opposed to what was clearly green screen. Yeah, for and you so bring up long. an in- interesting point with makeup because Deanna Troy's uh, foundation is definitely two levels too light for her it's skin tone. Visible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they go back and forth on her, and I think it's partial lighting, partial makeup. It's it's a real shame. Let's actually talk about this episode a little more chronologically. Cluck, so cluck, we cluck are mother hen. <laughs> <laughs> that is my second note. That is true. Cluck cluck cluck. Number one is the, is the second. Note. Uh, the Enterprise is on its way to pick up Riva, a mediator for Sola, uh for a war torn planet of Solace. Solace, which sounds like soulless. <laughs> Solace five, um, and so. The entire teaser, the whole before the credits synopsis is pretty much, we're going to go pick him up. Uh, We should look at this cool planetary graph from the last mission, which we don't really talk about. Right. We beam onto his New Mexico-like Bond villain lair, and then it ends. (laughs) We don't even see anybody. That was such a weird way to end the teaser. It's like, look at this interior. I had to rewind and watch again and say, oh, I must have missed something if this is the moment they would go to break. (laughs) Nothing happened. Yes. They showed up. They were like, no one's here to greet us. I wonder if it was like they were going to take too long to explain his issue and take too long with the confusion of do we look to him or do we look to the voices? And they're like, well, we can't fit this in the teaser. So let's just show this really cool mosaic we made in the back with some pillars. <laughs> right. And <laughs> the scariest thing here is the set design. Go to break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to to ask too because I wasn't sure. Is this the first time that we've uh, sort of co- encountered the captain's not supposed to go on away missions hurdle? Oh no, that was brought in like the very first episode. That okay. was like one of reasons for Getting Riker hired. like and and right. Picard butting heads. Yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say we haven't heard that in a while, and now that this is coming up again, because Picard and was I'm behaving like, for a while. 
Yeah. <laughs> One of the there things- were like a few episodes where Picard went down and we all even called it out. We're like, he's not supposed to do that. Right. And one of the things in my head while I was watching that, I had that, that go off in my head again, like, oh, Captain's not supposed to go. And I'm like, we are living in a made up future universe where the captain is pretty much the main character of the show. Why did they make up that rule? And why is it still a thing? <laughs> well, I think we talked about it in the early episodes, which is my theory on it is, is they wanted to split the Captain Kirk essence into two right. different people and have Riker go do the uh, adventure hunk-based things and Picard be the more skilled tactician Yet strategist. Yet still a hunk. Also gets his hunky moments as well. Right. Yeah, he still gets his hunky moments too, for sure. But why are they bringing it up again? Like, I thought we were past that. <laughs> they always need to bring a sense of tension to this, right? I that's mean, that's, that's the whole problem of some of these Star Trek plots is that there's tension in one act. So they have to ratchet up the tension in other acts. And yeah. they didn't really do it very successfully. That's why we didn't we, – we had to rewind the teaser, as Becca mentioned, mm-hmm. to see if we even missed something important because there wasn't much Well, there is something very yeah. important after the break. And I want to talk more about the things that each of these aspects of this Reva character's voice represents. So you've got the dude with a white beret and a dress that <laughs> – Sorry, it's scant. It's scant. Um, it is, well, it felt like a, it felt like the uniform a Mormon wears in yeah, their temple a little bit. He's yeah, it also has because I'm looking philosopher, at philosopher, dreamer, poet. Yeah, it's got a very like Korean dress silhouette. Where like oh yeah, the waist yeah, that's an empire waist. The, right. Do you, do you what are those are those ruffles on his arms? What are those? They're great. I love these. They're great. Not yes. So much as tears of fabric. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, tears. Got it. Oh, yes. tears. Levels. Flaps. <laughs> yeah, a ruffle has more um, gathering. Poof. Yeah. I took um, costume design and then switched into a different right. class because it was way harder than I thought uh, in college. Oh. But I have the textbook. I took costume design and then worked in the costume shop so I wouldn't have to be in the woodworking class <laughs> and set design. That sounds legit. Now, the set design I actually loved. I made a flat. Right. That's took anthropology. <laughs> so the second is uh, also the man has to, men have to go before the women. So um, the next one is passion, lover, and warrior. And anytime Troy, the only woman who really has a big part in this episode, is addressed, it's not by the intellect. It's by the the gonads. The representation, the physical representation <laughs> of the gonads is the one that speaks to her will from the very me, beginning. How do you – will you describe Passion's distinction uh, the again mullet? one more time? <laughs> no, no what, what words did he use? What part of his personality I am Passion. I represent the lover and the warrior and some other things I didn't write down. The word that I that you missed was the big one, which is the libido, oh, right. which is really what's always – I blocked that out. I purposely didn't write that down. I was already offended I think enough. you changed it to lover to make it nicer. <laughs> now, now, let's flip this a little bit and say that uh, that Riva is like pansexual or bisexual. And this is a polyamorous relationship that he has with these people. Then he also has feelings for Troy. And he's in love with the one that represents uh, passion and the libido. And they're actually the couple. What about that? But he leaves during their moment of more intimate nature in the, on the first date, right? Yeah. As you would with maybe your first in a polyamorous relationship. But you don't excuse your libido from the date. <laughs> Speaking of the options of polyamory, I really thought this guy was going to watch, you know? 
Right. I know. Me too. <laughs> but they uh, instead decide to interpret language or create language from the base of zero comprehension. <laughs> but we'll get to that uh, because we haven't yet met harmony, wisdom, and balance, balance, that which binds, which of course the woman has to keep everything together. I did like that she was wisdom. <laughs> But she Wait, is. You like, seem unhappy about the woman's role, no matter what. That's correct. She's the, like the most Jake, important. Jake, I'm a feminist, so that's what it means to be a feminist. <laughs> it doesn't mean to be unhappy. You're playing into the bad tropes of this problem. <laughs> well, I did. You're I got a little the annoyed when the first against. thing was, "I am that which binds." So basically, I am just like in between all these other men. I have to, you know, stick it all together. But then, but then she got some cool things, which were wisdom and balance. Right. Yeah, it could be worse if she was like the libido and she was just uh, referenced as like the love interest part portion. That actually it, would right? be really hot if she dirty talked to Troy. So uh, mm. I do. <laughs> but then wouldn't this. I hear? Wouldn't you be like? But she's not the rational one. They because they can't think because she's all about sex. No, actually, right? I would like, be totally for <laughs> that characterization. Okay. All right. No <laughs> well, taken. <laughs> and it's funny because I gave them the smallest amount of credit for even having a woman at all as part of his personality. Good point. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to give out a card from now on, Xander, that just says the smallest amount of credit to people who just barely impress you. You tried. Almost did a spit take there, but I swallowed. Uh, so we meet the chorus. Uh, they we, we, pretty, we pretty quickly figure out that we don't address them. We need to address Riva himself. And Picard has a really great correction and apology mm -hmm. of this misstep. I really like that moment of this is who Picard is, that he immediately acknowledges his mistake, and he's mm -hmm. not afraid to apologize for it and correct. It's good. It was a good handling of the situation. I'll give him the smallest amount yeah. of credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot also that passion, uh, there's another line that passion says that I wrote down, which is, I am the anarchy of lust. Oh, right. Whoa. I remember thinking about that, and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> if that, would, that line is a good opportunity to have him like have some conflicting feelings aboard the ship and actually get a little out of control with his emotions, but he's actually pretty calm and cool around Troy. She actually gets more upset with him than vice versa. Hmm. But Until what do you mean? Event. I mean, these three are, you call them calm, but they embody every passion that Data could never replicate later in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had to give Data the note. Can you like act less well? And in this next scene, we need a job between each word because... It's really coming across like you're way better at being the chorus than the chorus ever was. Right. Well, if we're going down that, I had like a full laugh out loud moment with Data for the thank you, thank me. Ah, <laughs> it was yeah. so good. And it felt like an outtake that they left in and it, it, just because it was acted so well. It feels like, I mean, in the 23rd, is it this 24th century? The 24th century that like 23rd century? I'm going to say 24th. I think it's 24th. Um, It feels like they would have at least known of sign language, even if it's been outdated because either uh, advancements in medical technology or genetics or that r there have been other supplements, including, you know, reading and writing, which you think would have been somewhat of an issue in this. I think in the notes that I read, they had a, they had a scene or even a line about the fact that his lineage doesn't read and write, which is why he can't write stuff down. Right. I wonder which I was like, how did they did design they these sweet clothes without that? drawing patterns? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they drew the patterns, but they don't have measurements. Mm. Right. Well, it's. I wondered because this is coming out in this era of the. Um, we want to educate people with entertainment too, and this feels a little bit like a PSA 
in in its essence about like this disability because you have this B plot kind of with Jordy also going down this road mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. exploring um, what does this mean to live with with um, these disabilities and I wonder if they had like a sensitivity counselor on there to be a part of it or anything or if they just went this this is an alien so who who cares but <laughs> I'm gonna say probably you know, the who cares because sensitivity yeah. counselors in Hollywood weren't a thing yet but I'm glad they are right. now. Yeah. Well, uh, there is a bit of an answer to this. The oh, actor, good. the actor who played uh, Riva is deaf, and okay. his name is Howie Sago. I think is how you pronounce it. And he petitioned the producers to create a show about deaf people. Okay. In part, in part to dispel untrue and prejudiced myths about them. Okay. Well, because... then I have a lot of uh, notes I need to erase because a lot of them are about Riva's acting, and now knowing that they this, this is like actually their life. Um, right. It changes that, my perspective. Uh, well, that's interesting. I want you to not erase the notes and let's talk about it because it doesn't mean a deaf person can't be a bad actor. But also, like, the way that they represented what they were doing is interesting, right? Um, he petitioned them to do this. And so I think in the original version of the script, I'm trying to piece this together from the notes that I have. Um, in the first draft, Riva actually learned to speak overnight with a, with a mechanical translator uh, he used to communicate when his chorus either died or, like, they failed in their mission or whatever. And he mm. petitioned to change that so it's not like my deafness is not the issue here. Right. Communication is the issue and, and talking it out and turning a disadvantage to an advantage. And so that's a really good awareness of the problem of representing um, disabilities. That's the problem of, like, trying to, quote, unquote, solve it. And that's sure. not that's not a necessarily a problem. Well, and I'm glad that you said that, too, because I'm, of course, all of us are kind of on the outside of this, but I know for deaf people particularly, there is a culture that is with, that comes with the territory um, that is very active, and uh, and I, it's good to know that that was represented. Yeah. Right, and to talk about Jordy and how blind people are mm-hmm. represented, um, we do have the modern analogy of they were the only ones that survived in Bird Box. So that should be noted. Right. Right. <laughs> the, <laughs> the interesting thing about the Jordy part of this was like, uh, I love the same like talk about, oh, well, if I have eyes now, I uh, there's no going back to how it was, which isn't necessarily true. I guess he could blind himself. But, like, oh, God. <laughs> I know, right? don't know if he could but, use infrared in the same way if he did right. that. <laughs> But what I really appreciate about how the way Star Trek t- treats his blindness is it doesn't define his character. In fact, most episodes that involve Jordy don't even reference his blindness. Mm-hmm. He's much more important uh, for a variety of other reasons. I would say his sassy his eyebrows expertise. determine his character. <laughs> he visually, his blindness is a component to us in terms of his visual character, like what the way we see him. Right. But like in terms of what he does or how he's addressed all the time, it rarely comes up. And I, I think of that sweetness. And building miniature models of boats. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was such an... Well, let's keep talking since we're, since we're talking about the Jordy scene. I mean, right. what, what is this decision? I, I'm really... Jordy sees more than we do. It's like mm-hmm. it would diminish your visual capacity by 20%. He wouldn't well, have the pain, that's if, That Well, that was if he had the implants that would offer the same spectral range that he would see with the visor, but there would be a 20% loss. Or periphery? she could restore, probably, or just be, they need the Sander, I need the real answers. Yeah, Come on. He's <laughs> in widescreen under that visor, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. like an IMAX experience. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, and then she said, or we could restore like a normal vision to your two eyes. 
Uh, I'll take superhero eyes, please. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess if you we've treated it as sort of a superpower, but you know, it, there is real struggle that we've seen with Jordy, both with fitting in, you know, and we've had the this discussion too with Q, who offered to just fix it on the spot, and he was saying well, through Wesley, yeah, um, but he was saying no, like this is what I want to be, and this is how I live. And remember too, like that's Jordy's choice to make, and that's what mm -hmm. Pulaski's offering him—just mm -hmm. the choice. Also, she I love Dr. Catherine Pulaski. She's done this <laughs> no, two we're not times going there. already. We're not going there. Love her. Uh, the Daystrom Institute would thing, never. The, uh, that I wanted to bring up, uh, when Jordy and Riva first meet, he says, Ah, oh, your visor, much like my chorus, helps you to communicate with others. And it was like, yeah, totally. I get that. We're the same thing. But then I thought about the fact, what do you guys think about these three living, breathing humans being compared with this hunk of metal that is a visor? <laughs> I think it's an analogy, less mm. a really direct thing. I think he, they're beating it over the head that they want the audience to understand the role that those, the chorus plays versus him. I still don't think it's very important after all like we spend half the episode going over this over and over and like new people getting used to who's talking but like mm -hmm. okay it's kind of a cool nuance i guess but it doesn't really heighten very much right like it didn't really deliver anything new yeah and it really feels like weird cult cult shit maybe yeah this subservient slave behavior i dislike yeah Right, right. But they all seemed, I mean, none of them seemed, like, uh, captive or anything like that. They all seemed, and they all, everybody seemed to be in reverence for syndrome, Jake. <laughs> Reva syndrome, you mean? Reva well, I mean, syndrome. the good thing is they don't have very much, the rents longer anyway, so it's fine. Ooh, Problem solved. good point. They get vaporized, right? So let's actually go through the plot a little bit. So we have Reva and uh, his passion, and they pursue Troy a little bit. Oh, yeah, and a I would like bit. to say Marina Sirtis feels no chemistry with this plot line. <laughs> you know, I will say I thought Marina Sirtis did a good job on the first date portion when passion left, and she did a lot. She did all of the all speaking the in the in that um, scene. Not the all the literals, or she did all the literal speaking, but she didn't do all the figurative speaking because he had a lot of lines as well. And it was, I could see that, uh, I could see that she was conveying that she was still enjoying and being intrigued by the the communication they yes, were having. So I, intellectually, but sexually, hmm. there was nothing there for me. Yeah, I also just, I don't think you really had much of a presence. And maybe this is the acting note that you're trying to give, but they talked about him uh, in a much more positive way than he seemed to like exude. Yes. He was just kind of, he had a very magnificent beard. I'll give him that. <laughs> but beyond that, it was just like, he's just kind of another guy, right? Yeah. And we'll get into the the plot point of the planets and his actual job. But uh, Troy had to escort him to his quarters because he requested on the bridge with Picard's permission. Permission, and yeah. And this really, really bothered me that yeah. she's being essentially whored out. You know, she's supposed to sleep <laughs> with him now or at least has to be alone with him because her captain said, gave this nod that said, yes, you will walk him. I give my consent. When, you know. <laughs> there, was, there was such an opportunity there and I thought Picard might say something like, well, she's free to do as she wishes. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, with but her permission. Not yeah. with the captains. What the the thing what? is, 
they dance around formality a lot in this show to mm-hmm. a way that makes it feel like we're misreading some of those things. Because remember, like, this guy is a diplomat, so he has to, like, obey every sense of decorum. Now, that being said, he sure loses his temper a lot for a guy who's supposed to bring people together. Yeah. Like, even in their first meeting, he, like, interrupts Picard and you hear one of the voices go, talk to me. It's like, right. you have to understand people are not used to this. You've been doing this all of your life. Has this always been an easy orientation that you've put them through? And if so, why have you streamlined it? A well, little it's a very bit? Trumpian form of politics that seems to work <laughs> because somehow How this election this? is still competitive. How do you always make these connections? Because <laughs> we live in a fucked up world, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, I mean, the connection is there in that maybe this is how he's established. It's easy to explain to people or establish dominance or something like that in the conversation. So there could be many reasons for that. But there wait, is no, a- back up. Yeah, wait, nonverbal yes. communities oh. like when you okay. get in their face and say, talk to me. Yeah, yeah, he's a negotiator who takes dominance in a conversation to open a negotiation. Well, this if asshole. you're dealing with hostile starship captains a lot, like he could see, he could perceive. How is Picard ha- hostile? I'm just saying there could have been a precedent to how he does it. To, to I, I'm not. I'm just making. Do you not uh, understand? Making this up. I agree. This comes yes. from here, and this comes from here, and you need to switch your eyeline appropriately. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> I just was really uncomfortable by the fact that it seems against decorum for mm. passion to be the only per- version that speaks to Troy and for intellect to speak to everyone else. It seems disrespectful. If I were Troy, I'd be like, uh-uh, use that <laughs> We are on a starship bridge right now. That's Maybe a good you point. come yeah. to my quarters later and you can talk to me with passion, but right now I am a professional at work and you need to speak to me with intellect. It's like the brain, the heart, and the boner, and the boner's always talking to me. What the hell? Why? Shut up, we're at work, boner. <laughs> so just to sort of, this is how I justified this as well. Um, the reason that I could see him being more comfortable doing something like that with Troy is because he acknowledges her empathic abilities of like, you can sense that I'm horny for you, so there's no sort of decorum to cover this. <laughs> I'm going to use my boner to talk Wait to you. Wait a minute. I was with you until you were like, so you sense that I'm horny, so it's cool. It's cool, right? We're, we're there. As a woman who often has uh, been spoken to with passion when I really was trying to talk to intellect, that doesn't make it a two-way street. Halfway through, I gave up on the argument. <laughs> well, that's that's more than most people will do, so... <laughs> Uh, also have you met harmony let's just let her talk the whole time (laughs) hey let's talk about uh when when he's mia and captain picard has to talk to these two factions on the planet they immediately are like we'll only talk to reva when picard is being super nice and they get reva and reva comes in his magical everyone is blown away by his peacemaking (laughs) skills when he says brothers Let's come together. We shall meet and make peace. And they're like, wow, only Reva could do this. <laughs> now, I, I want to defend the line that he gives because I liked this line. I even right. wrote it down. I thought it was pretty cool. Give us a dramatic he... reading, please. Oh, Ooh. I didn't know if I write down the whole thing. Well, you can embellish. <laughs> well, give us a dramatic interpretation. <laughs> now I got to find it in my notes, though. Something about like appealing as warriors. Yeah. So he, yeah. he like appealed to their, oh, it was, uh, he appealed to their sense of bravery, right? Like, uh, you right. demonstrate, like you've demonstrated your bravery and courage on the battlefield. Now 
demonstrate your bravery in a different way by having the courage to meet. Like th that's really that appeals to them, right? It doesn't put them on the defensive. It doesn't say uh, the other side is correct. It just says, "Look, this is what you value, and show me how you value it by coming here and proving it." Mm -hmm. Can I just say it's very clear there's no females in high-ranking positions in either of their societies? <laughs> Not only is there no female, well, because they'd be at peace if there were, Becca. Right, uh, that's the problem. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, also, when we get to the mediation scene, I imagine that the script writer's like, all right, so the delegation from them comes up, and the delegation from uh, the other group comes up, and then the producer's like, we spent a quarter million dollars on the London set two episodes ago, so yeah. you get the leader and a guy. Right, that's all we have makeup for. <laughs> and we're going to kill one of the guys. <laughs> that's all we have makeup for. Their makeup is just like a mess. They're just like a you, series you know, of ridges and burns and scars. I bet that's why the chorus looks human. Mm -hmm. They spent all their budget on I was the wondering that too. warring factions. They He he does lack any like sci-fi element, right? And they had Jordy's real eye contacts, which I'm sure cost something. Or maybe they reused the same ones. Because That's they've true. shown those before. But yeah. you know what? Given that, I would prefer to have the Dickensian and London, uh, or no, Sherlockian <laughs> London. Sherlockian, yeah. A hundred years later uh, version in the previous episode than, than to have makeup here. So I'm here for it. <laughs> I will say that if we ever get back out of quarantine times and recording this podcast, I want to do it on the mediation table that they had. Like all three of us. A like triangular a stone, stone table. table. Yes. <laughs> so good. I didn't know. So Xander, did they replicate that table and then beam it down? That's or what did it they seems have like. A, they they have a woodworker used... or stonemason. <laughs> well, they they might because they've got a bunch of civilians that have various skills that they only do for fun. But no, I think they mentioned that Jordy was replicating these things. Um, plus, uh, they make the touch torches that you just go up yeah. and touch them and they light. Yeah. That was a nice little treat. I just, I never really considered that. It's like, oh yeah, you could just, you could mm -hmm. just make your own furniture up there, huh? Just beam it down. You just need a replicator big enough. Never thought about the fact why people don't redecorate all the time. Like replicate right. this into this hallway. Ooh, let's replicate a painting right here. If anybody could replicate anything they want, they would have decked out. We'd quarters. also have hoarder problems though, right? Because like right. you're suddenly replicating a bunch of matter and then you're just shoving it in a corner when you can't get rid of it. Well, I guess you could eject <laughs> it into space, but maybe there's some laws against that. Oh no, it's recycling. So everything that you replicate can be put back in and they reuse it for other things, mm. including if food. only recycling were real in our world. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it just comes from the transporter, right? They just throw it back in the system of all the people who get untransported. Well, no, it's the antimatter uh, reaction. Relay. It's what the warp core is, and that's what it keeps it going and make replicators possible. And your book right now is in the third edition and available in college bookstores right <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, and you can see it. It's about transparent aluminum. Hi and, hyperspace uh, dynamics by Zan right. Dr. Zan <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, this is also can be seen when we offer like ship parts or different things that you, it's assumed that we're replicating these things for them. And we see in Voyager when they're away from sort of restocking at base uh, that there is a limit to how much you can recycle and reuse in the replicators. Mm. So yeah, that's good. They address it in future seasons. Yeah, because they have we can make anything magic, which is, you know, you kind of have to define <laughs> it at some point. Give everything limits. 
in the this first meeting with them too, uh, he's doing his whole spiel, and he comes up and he says, "Now there is no magic," and I expected everything to beam down at that point, like the table <laughs> and the torch. <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, that would have been good." <laughs> he just conjures a beam table. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then the the head ridged uh, Starfleet officer goes and touches the torches touches and conjures the... <laughs> fire. Yeah. yeah. That's really hilarious. So, well, uh, the negotiations do not begin well because the chorus gets vaporized. That's also another violent special effect. Like, we see flesh and bone in that Like, through it. Well, it's a disruptor. And very mildly horrified expressions because I guess they had to hold them for a long time. Oh, (laughs) I'm being vaporized. Also, one beam took out three things. That's pretty advanced. (laughs) Yeah, it's like an AoE spell. Yeah. I I mean, maybe there was only two from each delegation because they'd already vaporized each other's populations with this very powerful weapon. And that's that's the whole community. (laughs) Well, didn't didn't Riker mention that as like, what's a possible reason they're going to peace? Uh, Because they've killed each other too much and there's not enough to survive. Yeah. This the 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 warring factions were at war for. Did they say like. 15 centuries or something like that it's ridiculous it's insane it's a but it is a it is a true thing about wars that they've just been fighting so long it's become personal and now it's war. not even about what war never changes <laughs> the chorus dies data learns sign language reva's still frustrated pulaski makes her offer um and we we kind of come to a conclusion of you know to listen is to understand and reva makes his case of like oh I need to make my disadvantage an advantage. Mm-hmm. And so he resolves in the end to teach them how to speak to him and thus how to speak to each other. I would like to reflect, though, that Troy is the hero here. She uses techniques against or for him, you know, and, and gets and motivates him on his own terms. Uh, as she mentioned it, uh, self-confidence is something that you have to build yourself. You can't be given that from someone else. And Picard so she, commends her adequately for this, calls her specially in to say, good job. <laughs> well, I was I was surprised that they didn't um, use more of Troy's like mental powers to give him a voice because he's mentally connecting with the chorus anyway. Yeah. And I guess that would have been the easy way out is to I, use I, That's what I was Troy. wondering. I was like, of all the people who can communicate, she's going to be better than Data and honestly better than just looking at his hand signals. Like right. she can feel what he wants to say. You would think that that would come more in handy. I thought that she was going to go down to the negotiations and take what he was saying and also add more of her own because she's not just a chorus that echoes back. She also has a very interesting perspective to give. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this episode was about how this isn't a disability. This is a different advantage. And Mm -hmm. so... And knowing that the actor is deaf, that does change my perspective on the episode overall. Yes, they needed mm-hmm. more budget to make uh, all these people look not human uh, for me to believe it. But it's mm-hmm. interesting information. What we did gloss over is Data and how when mm-hmm. he learned every form of sign language ever, uh, <laughs> he was at the computer <laughs> and it was like showing for the example. exact same six symbols for different oh, yeah. things over and over. And he goes, computer, and please increase the speed at which you show me these six hand gestures over and over yeah. and over. <laughs> and then he was the like, blue ocean, the couple the, walking along oh, the Oh, you know, yeah. two happy people walking along the blue ocean at sunset is the first sentence you should learn in any language. Right. <laughs> that and the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Yes. <laughs> Every letter. There it is. In the uh, alphabet. 
this takes place during a time too when i think there was a lot of effort to put different people of different representations on television i remember this is around the same time um oh, let me look up her name although i would have appreciated if there was a person of color in the chorus they are all mm. white but the main cast does have diversity so they i feel yeah. like they don't yeah they don't always have uh like a bunch of racial diversity in civilizations they tend to make them racially the same which we've noticed both in <laughs> not great ways mm-hmm. uh, in previous episodes marley uh, matlin i believe is her name you, you might recognize her from west wing or uh from the seinfeld episode uh which her deafness does play oh, into yeah. that one but uh what i like about that is they're starting to in the 90s have people on the shows but their disability isn't the focal point Mm-hmm. of it uh that's definitely true for her role in the west wing as well but there's there's going to be more and more representation and i get why you had those hesitations becca about this episode because it's like kind of a clumsy handling of it a little bit but i think this is the earliest attempts to destigmatize a lot of these things so that definitely happens yeah yeah and i think uh, it just opens it up i think what was appealing about this was the potential more than the execution yeah. Uh, this could be cool, and I would love to see other characters that had a Greek chorus, and again, the day-to-day life, how do they live, are they in love, are there, is there a connection biologically, like, there's so much potential there that they just didn't explore. Yeah, interesting. I'm thinking about this in terms of a show that I just started watching, which is Pose, which mm. has such great trans representation and young gay mm-hmm. love representation that is super hot, so just mm-hmm. drop in that little... Rick. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's also one of those questions of like during early representation of these things in like the late 80s and 90s, and there was starting to be even some trans representation on TV and film around this time, but it was done by people who aren't trans. And so now right. that's an issue because we have a lot more of that diversity in Hollywood and we can do it now, but we couldn't back then. Or we could maybe back then, but they didn't make that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice to see that that's actually happening. And and in a show like that, it's not always, even though it is a prominent part of the show, it's not always the focal point of every scene. Yeah, the reason I started watching Pose is because there's an excellent documentary on Netflix called Disclosure that's all about the trans experience. And they talk about their feelings on seeing representation in media of someone not of a gender portraying mm-hmm. that gender and how damaging it is. Like when Eddie Redmayne did that a really good movie. I forget the name. It won an Oscar. He won an Oscar right. for it. It was a lovely movie, but because we think of Eddie Redmayne as a man, seeing him as a woman, we think, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's a male actor portraying a woman. And then that's how we start to think of trans people. And that's not how, that's not what trans people are. They are a woman that was born in a biologically different body than Becca what said trans is. rights go off becca yes <laughs> that is right well it's just because i this is something that i'm learning to see in a different way because i'm seeing this representation and it's it's really really important to those communities that we see these things so now yes. i'm just saying what i'm learning <laughs> yes also if you like pose uh, and want to see more about ballroom culture i recommend paris is burning and then legendary which is a competition show but it's really well done well I got my list it. made Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of lists, we have another episode to watch next week. That's right. It's The Schizoid Man. Mm-hmm. An away team discovers the dying Dr. Ira Graves, who claims to be Data's grandfather? What? 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 
as you walk away from this episode, I give a strange and sheepish smile that doesn't make sense in context, just like Pulaski did to Jordy after he left the med bay. I love her so much. Why did she Wait. give that weird smile? I'm sorry. Because that episode's she's over. proud of him. She, she's proud of him for the decision that he made. He was very devilish. And I didn't no! understand it. I'm saying right now we will be doing a bonus episode at the end of the <laughs> season after we watch all the Pulaski episodes, which is the trial of Dr. Pulaski. You will take the prosecution, <laughs> Becca. You will take the defense, Sander, and we will find a jury of our peers. To okay. Settle this once and for all. Whether Pulaski's lovable or not, I'm not sure the question. <laughs> I have to get one of those English wigs that they still wear. Yeah, powdered wig. <laughs> a solicitor's a wig. wig. A barrister, yes. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> um, well, then let's call this court adjourned. Uh, Good. I'll have two adjourns and an engaged. That'll be perfect. <laughs>